Lyricist Richard Maltby Jr. has conceived and directed two Tony Award-winning musicals, wrote the screenplay for the Renee Zellweger film Miss Potter, and has produced, directed, and or written countless other stage and screen productions. Richard considers himself a jazz fan, but was not terribly knowledgeable about it until it was suggested to him that he write a play about Fats Waller. Like many before him, Richard fell for Fats, and from that inspiration wrote and directed Broadway's Ain't Misbehavin'. Today we revisit my 2008 conversation with Richard Maltby Jr. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm not the jazz buff in the creative team. Murray Horowitz, you know, he had the jazz show on NPR for such a long time. Murray Horowitz is a great old friend of mine, and he is the jazz buff. I mean, he's the one with the with the record collections that fill the whole the whole hall and one wall of his house and, and stuff like that. So I did a um, uh, I did a one man show on Sholem Aleichem with, with that that he wrote and directed and uh, acted in, and I directed. And um, then when I did a show at the Manhattan Theater Club called Starting Here, Starting Now, uh, which was the songs that David Shire and I wrote, um, F- Murray said, you know, you want to do something with Fats Waller. And I said, oh, why? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. I know. Well, that was my, that, you know, my, it was my, my reaction. Why, why on the basis of, of, of David and my sort of theatrical art songs would you think that I should do, you know, You're fast the fast wallet? man, right. And he, he said, well, you come down and listen. And so he, he, I did that and he played a, a collection of things. And I – I really didn't know Fats Waller's. Uh, I mean, I knew the I knew the big hits. I knew, right. you know, Your Feet's Too Big, and I knew some of, of of those things. But I didn't really know what he was doing. I listened to the records, and what struck me most of all was how funny they were. Even the instrumentals were funny. Thank you. 
towards life and um, and I thought how really interesting to have I mean nobody ever talks about how funny jazz is you know and I think of that all the time I know it's, which musicians it's, it's, have a great sense it's of humor witty. it's it's witty I mean you know monk going from you know, you know those fantastic things that, that uh, uh, some of the jazz stars had, had done and, uh, and here's Waller who elevated it to you know a full-fledged art form, but when I when he was playing his little instrumental solos, there was always this sense of of joking with the audience. Am I going to play that note, or am I going to hit that note? You know, and and he was he was toying with them all the time. And I thought, well, if a show played with the audience the way that he played with the audience in his instrumentals. That would be a reason to put it on the stage because mm. that's theatrical. That's not mm-hmm. just you know. That's not just nice music on the stage. He you know? was so theatrical. Well, of course, he was a gigantic um, you know world class clown uh, as well. And and then uh, I started you know going deeper and deeper into it and discovered more and more uh, uh, kind of depths of his uh, his uh, comic genius. And it was. Um, they're, they're, I'm, I'm sort of feeling all these stories all at the same time. But but the the the, the telling point uh, when we were doing it was that uh, apparently in the 40s there were the equivalent of music videos that were filmed to go on jukeboxes. I was going to ask you if you ever looked at any of those. We saw, I, and he made four or five of them. And uh, uh, there was a guy in New York, you know, in this little apartment. Was not Ernie Smith? I think it was, with a great collection of these things. Ernie was the man. And so, he, so Murray took me down, and we we watched them. And the the first one was um, was Ain't Misbehaving. And there's Fats Waller playing away. And there's this beautiful babe that he's singing to, and she's going with her little hands, you know, bopping back and forth. And behind him are these two other girls going back and forth. And, back. <laughs> and you're thinking, what are they? He's singing, I ain't misbehaving, I'm saving my love for you. Well, who are they? <laughs> and you realize, well, he's obviously cheating on her with these two right, girls. Right. And the whole song is a lie. Right. As soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, isn't that amazing? to talk with all by myself no one to walk with but I'm happy on the shelf ain't misbehaving saving my love for you for you for you for you I know for certain the one I love I'm through with flirting it's you that I'm thinking of Misbehaving, saving my love for you. Like Jack Horner in the corner, don't go nowhere. What do I care? Your kisses are worth waiting for. Believe me. 
From that moment on, uh, and the whole show is that people do not say what they mean to the person that they're in love with. We cast it with um, not six people, not three couples, two cup, three three girls mm. and, and two guys, mm-hmm. which meant that if there were two couples, a girl had to break up a couple to get a guy. So we have multiple triangles going, plus two sort of heavyset ladies ganging up on the skinny third lady. Mm-hmm. So we have all sorts of inner drama among these five five people. And uh, and and that combined with, with with never telling the truth about what you're feeling was the joke. <laughs> and and you give that attitude to Nell Carter. Oh uh, yeah. And you just you know you, you just have uh, uh, the audience going crazy. And and exact everyone else. Yes, people everywhere are giving their all for the war effort. And here's a little lady to show you exactly how to do it. Let's give her a special welcome. It's her first time on any stage. Miss Nell Carter! Today is the day that all us cats must surely do our bit. We've got to do our share. So Uncle Sam can hit. Save up all structural devices of the show was that I thought we ought to know something. Uh, in, in truth, when Murray first mentioned Pat well, he, he asked me about writing a musical. Ah. And so I did a lot of research and I thought Waller had a brilliant first act and no second act <laughs> because he died young right. and because it didn't – there was no com- conclusion to any of his stories. And so uh, – it quite quickly became clear that a musical wasn't a good way to go. So when um, uh, Lynn Meadow at the Manhattan Theatre Club said, you know, why don't you do that, that material you were working on with Fats Waller, 
um, we decided to do a sort of a, a, a cabaret show, but I would put in it all of the um, biographical information that had come from this research. That's why you get so much information in this little sh- show that seems to have not a, not a thought in its head, but it really <laughs> does. Um, and, and so um, Handful of Keys was an answer to the question, you know, what on earth is stride piano? Um, Nobody knows. I mean, you have to assume that people in the audience don't know what stride piano is. Most people don't. They've heard it. Maybe they've heard the term, but they don't really understand Mm -hmm. what it is. And it's, of course, an utterly amazing concept, you know, the the, – uh, the rhythm bass and the and the butterfly right hand, you know, it just it just it, it's uh, it's amazingly flashy and amazingly difficult, and uh, you have to play it very fast. So he had written a handful of keys, which is basically a, a stride uh, show off piece, and I have always liked writing lyrics to instrumentals mm. because they tend to be more interesting melodies, quirkier melodies. And then they have a strange – because they're quirky melodies, that leads to quirkier language. You know? mm. So I thought, let's make Handful of Keys tell the audience what stride piano is. Which is brilliant. Well, It's just I wonderful. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, even to me, yeah, someone yeah. who does it, it was especially brilliant. Yeah. I like to play it in a subtle manner. I get a lot of pleasure with those 
sing a little tune that's mellow. To vocalize is nothing swallow. And I'm to have a song of melody that's checking off of my lips. I have all the keys in a song to sing. Wow. wrote a couple of the uh, there's there's a stands in it that he contributed um uh when we you know we were we put the show together very fast in four weeks at the manhattan theater club and i wrote that i think in rehearsal i don't think i wrote it ahead of time four weeks oh yeah Uh, oh i had no idea oh right it's it was it was a trajectory i unlike anything that any show i think that ever was Mm. We, we went into rehearsal with a dream mm-hmm. <laughs> and a pile of music and this cast on January 1st. We opened February 1st. We ran four weeks, closed March 1st. On April 1st, we went into rehearsal for Broadway where we added a second act. I mean, we added, we fleshed it out and mm-hmm. broke it into two acts. Um, on May 1st, we opened. And on June 1st, we won every award you could win in New York including an OB because we had been off-Broadway and on-Broadway in the same year. All of that happened within six months and it's it, it was uh, mind-boggling. Heady. Yes, <laughs> heady, absolutely. You know. And educate me because I was quite young when I saw it and I was first coming to New York and I thought that that was the first of that kind of review. There, I, nobody had done anything just like that, no, had they? No one had. There, there, was, there was a show that opened shortly afterward about Huey Blake. And but was, these were all afterwards. They were afterwards. And they, and they were inspired by Ms. Babel. They, they were sort sophisticated of, uh, ladies. All of them tried to do they, it. They all tried, tried to do it. But they didn't – first of all, they didn't have the benefit of a comedian. Mm. So they had basically no – real sense of humor to play with. Mm-hmm. We just had some some very nice songs. Um, I mean, Duke Ellington was uh, sophisticated, so we had right. we had lots of of, of uh, white tie and tails and mm-hmm. lots of tap dancing and right. And that was that was very nice. But they didn't have the 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 underpinning of of uh, well social comment. You know, the 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 um, Amos Pavement is. A ball of fire and a bundle of laughs. I mean, you just have a really good time from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. But it's really kind of got a, ser- a serious subtext to it. It really is about trying to deal with an unfair world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, for a black artist in the '30s, um, your your possibilities were incredibly limited. Mm-hmm. You could get a recording career, maybe. Uh, and even so, it would be on on, on the second string, you know, the, uh, radio stations. The idea that you could have anybody who would sort of cross over was almost unheard of. Mm. Um, and uh, you had the choice of, if you were an actor, you could play a, a, a slave or a maid. Those mm-hmm. are the, those are your two your two choices. And uh, as Hattie McDaniel did, and Ethel mm-hmm. Waters did, um, and so. The incredible creative energy that was going on mm. uh, masked this kind of pain, and it 
and the in an unfair world, it what I thought was sort of terrific was that it was bigger than simply a, a racial unfairness. It was also about, I mean, all of us, all of us didn't get a full plate. You know, the pretty one is over there, the smart one is over there. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, feet's too big is always done as a very funny kind of silly song. Mm. I thought that it was um, a. Um, <sighs> A cry from the heart of a person who always gets the flawed girl, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's about being overweight in a world of thin people. It's about being homely in a world of pretty people. It's a, you know, you get the, this guy's rage at getting the woman with the flaw mm-hmm. is what's really working underneath it. And the whole of the second act of of Amos Behaven is about. Uh, about dealing with um, um, unfairness, dealing with prejudice, yes, but unfairness more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, prejudice is sort of an aspect of unfairness, being judged by your exterior, being mm. judged by uh, by whatever you know flawed being God <laughs> gave you. Mm-hmm. And what's of course terrific is that that that, that these artists dealt with it with such humor. Who's that walking around here? Mercy. Sounds like baby powder. Baby elephant pattern, that's what I calls it. Say, up in Harlem, at a table for two, there were four of us, me, your big feet, and you. From your ankle up, I'll say you sure are sweet. From that down, there's just too much feet. Yes, your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Can't use you cause your feet's too big. I really hate you cause your feet's too big. Where'd you get them? Your girl, she likes you. She thinks you're nice. Got what takes to be in paradise. She said she likes your face. She likes your rig. Man, oh man, them things are too big. Oh, your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Mad at you cause your feet's too big. I hate you cause your feet's too big. Fats Waller on a 1939 recording of his composition, Your Feet's Too Big. My guest, Richard Maltby Jr., feels Fats Waller's humor was not only entertaining, but a comment on social customs and behavior. That's why I loved the song, um, uh, the instrumental lounging at the Waldorf. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, it's great, but the, the, you know, in the middle of this were these wonderful asides. Waller saying... Well, Mrs. Throckmorton, mercy, mercy me. You know, I, he was he was mocking these elegant people. And we have to remember that he was could headline at the Waldorf Astoria, mm. but he couldn't walk through the lobby. Right. 
you know. Right. So it was all about equality. Yeah, I wonder you what know. the poor people are doing. I wonder what the poor people are doing. So he – so I, it was really great to, to take that instrumental arrangement and write those three those three counterlines to it, which um, were all about – well, we're going to play jazz at the Waldorf, so we're just going to, and they, we, the audience is going to love it, but we're not going to be too loud. We don't want to upset them too much because we understand who they are. I mean, Waller, you just imagine that Waller was just laughing hysterically when he played, mm. whenever he played this number, because it was all so muted and so elegant. It has one little bop, and then it kind of goes back down again. Oh, let's not unsettle anybody. <laughs> and it was, it was such a joke that it was real easy to set it. To words because the joke is already in the music. Mm. So that I, I was, I was, I really loved that. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Hemingway. How are you today? All right. <laughs> oh, very, very good in yourself. Oh, you do. Mercy, mercy me. <laughs> Do you like my girls? I love them all. You're so proud. Here we are at the Waldorf. Delicious, delicious. We're folks sit around all day. Caviar, certainly, certainly. Join the crowd who relax at the Waldorf. Cheek around all the chaos away. I've never heard of such a thing. Don't rock. <laughs> they like jazz, but in small doses, no shock. Bop! And you could cause thrombosis. Don't sing loud when you sing at the Waldorf. Or find somewhere else to play. Yeah. Hush, gal, you know they don't pass no chitlins round in here. Well, I know you knew me when, but forget it. When I saw the play, I was, as I said, I was young so and passionate about this music, so I was ready not to like it, as only a young person can be when you think you have all the answers to these right, things, right. and thought, oh, they're going to make it a real Broadway thing and they're going to lose it. And not only was I completely swept away with the music, but how you captured his personality with all these personalities, yeah, right. that was what was brilliant to me. What really stood out is how, and all this irony, which even when I first started listening to it when I was, I guess the first time I heard Fats, I was about 22 or something like that, and it certainly wasn't of my time, but I immediately picked up on this irony and then was fortunate in my early career to get to know lots of black musicians and get to know the way they interacted, the way they socialized, the way a lot of these older ones did, like Count Basie, Freddie Green, people like that. And I saw how they constantly waited to say what they were going to say, judged the situation. Everything mm -hmm. had double meaning. Basie was a master at that because he talked just like he played. So he'd have that one phrase and you'd think that he'd said a compliment, but then you'd think, Wait a minute. Yes, it was, that's exactly right. It was the sense of humor was the brilliant, brilliant ironic defense mechanism. You could you could compliment somebody 
and they wouldn't know that they'd been put down and insulted, <laughs> or not 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 insulted because it was never it was never hurtful, but had you know had been put in their place had been mm. had been, had been uh, um, it was all about what it what it is telling it like it is is the sort of subtext of all this all this comedy you know well your dad was into jazz he played trumpet and all that he did my father um was a a, 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 a trumpet player he you know came out of evanston high school he went to northwestern for a semester and uh then he started traveling with big bands and so that's what what i you know when i was born i lived in the back seat of a plymouth for 2 years because that's what i was the, <laughs> i was the band baby i was the only baby in the band the band baby oh yes i got i got uh i got uh, you know onesies from uh from uh, sophie tucker i mean i was uh, <laughs> Uh, so, and, and in fact, years later, when she was playing at the, in Las Vegas, I went through it and I introduced myself to her. She was so nice about it, and she seemed to remember my father. Who knows. But uh, no, he was that. You know, it's funny. I never understood my father. I guess I have to tell this story. <laughs> comes from I suspect maybe the dullest family on the face of the earth. I mean, my he had four brothers and a sister and. A, Sort of a kind of a battle axe of a mother and a milk toast of a father, and out of this completely non-theatrical, non-musical, non-entertainment, non-entertaining family came this last Your dad. son, who was a who was a musician, and I couldn't. It never occurred to me about what that was. Well, I had just I just read. Julie Stein's biography, and he talks about he spent uh, the twenties, I guess, in Chicago, and he was talking about the hotbed of musical excitement that all of the people who are now famous, Beiderbecke and other, were all playing. They were just the journeyman musicians that were playing around Chicago, and I suspect because my father, who was born in 1914. So by about you know twenty six twenty seven he when was right st- there he was in Chicago, and the, there must have been this buzz, and he was like a late baby, so I mean um I, I probably the rest of his family didn't pay attention to the fact that there was this music in the air, and it must have been i've never I've ever spoken to him about this, but and he's he's not with us now so. So I can't, but but I suspect that that it was in the wind, and and that's where it came from. Uh, and it just piqued his interest. In well, he probably played trumpet in the school band and liked it, and turned out to be good at it. And then he was playing in 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 country club bands during during college or mm. during late high school, and uh, and he 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 was uh, um, inches away from joining the Benny Goodman band, actually. He had been asked. The, the, one of the trumpet players was drafted in the first Second World War, and and uh, so he was going to replace him. And then the guy turned out to be four F and didn't leave, no. so he came back. And my father did not join the Benny Goodman band, but he did write, you know, some arrangements for Goodman. And talk about this uh, one that you told me. I think well, I, I just just the title alone. I have to say, called, is very funny. It's called Six Flats Unfurnished, and I think as a stunt. My father just thought, wouldn't it be cute, wouldn't it be fun to write something in an impossible key? I mean, six <laughs> flats is just an impossible key. No one can play anything in six flats. And I think because it was so impossible, it caught 
Goodman's attention. Of course. So, so he recorded it. Actually, it was um, you know records have two sides, right? So it was on the back of the Goodman Peggy Lee. Why don't you do right? So it was a big hit. So my father had a big hit when he was you know whatever he was with Benny. Twenties with Benny Goodman. Unfurnished by Richard Maltby, father of my guest, director and lyricist Richard Maltby Jr. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is lyricist Richard Maltby. So what were you listening to growing up? The funny thing is that my, that my father became an arranger, then he, went, he, went, he worked at WBBM, uh, then he came to New York, and what he was was a, a big symphonic orchestra. He was like Ferdy Grofet or, right, uh, or right. Andre Castellanos or one of those people. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he wrote uh, big symphonic arrangements, and uh, there was a, a, a guy named Ted Dale who had a big radio um, orchestra at the time, and, and, and he brought my father to New York to be an arranger for his his program. When he, my father first got a recording contract, it was to be, a, you know, a new Percy Faith or a new Hugo uh, Winterhalder, you know, the big, right. or, big, the big full guys. orchestra guys. RCA didn't have one, I guess, at that time. And um, and there was this new label, and and, um, and so they, they hired my father to do that. It happened that shortly after he started, the Mambo craze hit, and my father was sort of assigned to do a mambo record, which involved using a big band because you don't use the strings. And uh, and it was a big hit. It was called St. Louis Blues Mambo. And it's really a terrific arrangement. Talk about witty. It's really one of the most delicious arrangements ever. That is Richard Maltby in the orchestra. And Dick is a handyman to have around, particularly when mambo time comes front and center. Just see what he does with W.C. Handy's St. Louis Blues. Oh! 
So that was his first big hit record. And he did another one, and then he started, you know, doing Man with a Golden Arm and you know, big, big sort of big band jazz things. And then he started traveling as a band musician. So that was, so what I was, what what I fell in love with was not his love of jazz, but his love of big symphonic orchestrations. And personally, well, I I like jazz when it gets into the heart of what jazz really is, which is improvisation, it loses me because I like organized music. I like, <laughs> I like arrangements. I like things where, uh, where, where people do what their musicians what do what they're told. You know? <laughs> and so, oh, I uh, love that. Yeah, so I really I, – you know, that, that was my, my, uh, my bias and uh, – and, <laughs> And you know it, it's funny because when I, I here I am a lyricist and I'm in in, in the theater and and um, I have it's seemingly a kind of an innate sense of 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 structure and I could never figure out where it came from and then finally it dawned on me it came from going to my father's recording sessions mm. because my father wrote these two and a half minute arrangements that were perfect mathematical entities. You know, it was this countered by that, countered by this, and the things came together, and they had a satisfactory ending. He was really brilliant at that, mm. and um, so and I and I used to go in to the recording sessions. I must have gone to school somewhere in there, but I know I, I almost never. <laughs> it sounds like you went from the back of a Plymouth right to a recording session. There. I did. I mean, I, my <laughs> memories are, are all of, of going to, to my father's recording sessions. You know, well, it and, sounds like it was good know. school for you. It, it certainly was. I mean, you know, it was. Uh, and also the uh, discipline of it. That's what always strikes me with people who work for radio programs, especially mm -hmm. in those days when there were lots of orchestras and right, and right. people working in that and the discipline of television and all of that, that you have to have a two-and-a-half-minute arrangement. Somebody is right. telling you and it has to be exactly this. Right. And it, 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 I mean, radio was by the clock. You know, you, you, you had, you know, Three minutes and twenty seconds, or whatever you had, two minutes and forty seconds, and that was it. And and it had to come, you know, the program had to end exactly when mm. the program had to end. So everything was kind of, uh, you know, to um, to um, a specification. And I just I just like the discipline of it and the order of it. And uh, but at the same time, when you're working on Broadway and doing plays, there's this great interaction and collaborative aspect, at least as I understand mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. You don't just go off in your corner and you're going to write. So that it. is a very jazz-like process yeah. to me. Ours is just very quick because we're on stage and we're doing it spontaneously. Well, I I'm, I'm, I'm always stunned at how, how actors sometimes, you know, I mean the, the word is still improvisation. You turn the actors loose on a hypothetical scene it's not the scene in the play, but sort of like it, and they, and what are the words? They riff on it. Mm -hmm. They improvise on it. It's just exactly like, and 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 it's just exactly like jazz. And the only way that you can do it, as with jazz, is you have to listen. Jazz is really all about listening to what the other people are doing, and um, and that's what's so exciting because it seems planned. Because everyone is listening and going where, where what, where what their ear tells them they're doing, mm. and they go there. It's it's um, so that, and that, and I, I I guess I love musical theater for exactly that same reason because there's this improvised loose quality, and then there's also this incredible discipline. I mean, you you know, 
But jazz has that too. I think people mm. don't realize it a lot of times because the more disciplined and the broader your vocabulary, very often the broader your education. Totally. But also that. your emotional education so that you're really mm. digging down in your ability to listen, the better capable you are to respond to what the other person is doing. Right. And it's, it's part of the reason why, why you know, a lot of rock uh, just doesn't hold up because, uh, because the guys, have, you know, the, the musicians who are playing it are often not really musicians. They, they only – if you get beyond the six chords, they know mm. and playing very loud, mm -hmm. um, there's, not, there's not a whole lot of surprises. Mm -hmm. Jazz musicians will just, you know, take you into – places you never expected you could ever go uh, harmonically. And, and, mm -hmm. and the songs they like to riff on are almost always ones with brilliant chord progressions, you know. Because uh, that's a point for us. Yes. We're choosing things that are great vehicles totally, for improvisation. Totally. I mean, Hello Young Lovers, which is, a, you know, a big jazz staple uh, in four as opposed to in three, the way the mm -hmm. show is, is written. But what an amazing collection of, you know, Harmonic changes hold that song together. Hello, young lovers, whoever you are, I hope your troubles are few. Ah, oh, my good wishes go with you tonight. I've been in love like you Be brave, young lovers And follow your star You be brave and faithful and true And cling very closely to each other tonight I've been in love like you and I know how it feels to have wings on your heels And to fly down the street in a trance You fly down the street on a chance that you will meet And you'll meet not really by chance Don't cry, young lovers, whatever you do Don't cry because I'm alone all of my memories go with you tonight I have had a love of my own Bobby Darren on Hello Young Lovers I'm Judy Carmichael and this is Jazz Inspired My guest is producer, lyricist, director Richard Maltby Jr. What do you put on for relaxation? I almost never put music on for relaxation. I almost never do. I, I, um, my head is so full of it all the time that it's not relaxing to put on something else. <laughs> it's so you funny. Know? It's the same for me. Yeah. It's the same for me. And I'm also – do you find – because I'm curious. I don't think I've ever asked anybody this. The minute – I can have something on that I'm listening to and it's – creating mood, but I'm usually studying it on some level. But if someone comes over, the minute they come in, that music completely changes and I usually want to shut it off. <laughs> it's often, often, uh, it, it is often true. I used to, when I was in college, I used to put a stack of show albums on a record player and, and then do my homework 
but I'd only worked with albums I'd heard four or five times, so I didn't have to really listen to it. Right. It was a new album. I'd have to stop working and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it's too engaging. It was just too, yeah. It was too engaging. So if if I listen to anything, um, I listen in the like in the car. I'll listen to to the the local current pop album. Oh, you will. Stage. Oh, yeah. Just to find out what's going on. Mm. Just you know who's out there and what are they doing. Do you uh, like any of it? Well, yeah. I mean, I I I love rap. Poetry. Mm-hmm. I mean, deaf poetry jam on Broadway, mm-hmm. and and it's on Channel Thirteen all the time. Uh, I think is really breathtaking. Mm. Um, the the uh, the sense of language, because I'm a lyricist, I respond to the to the to the, the you know the sense of language in it. Would be awfully nice if it had a few more chords in it every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I like that when the when the words are interesting, um, and um, and then I'm just always interested in what whatever is happening in uh, you know in pop music and who the new teen idols are and why they what they're doing and you know so I well you say I've, I've kids so I've I have a seventeen and a fourteen year old girl so you, you know you gotta know what's going on absolutely you know? they're and keeping you, you and in if it. you don't know you'll be you'll be told you know? <laughs> dad. <laughs> You mean you haven't heard? I'll play it for you right now. Uh, are they open to your music? Well, yeah. I mean, my daughter is a is a my seventeen year old is a choreographer for the theater, and my fourteen year old at seventeen. Oh gosh, she's so good, and she started when she was thirteen. Uh, Dad, how do you have a ballet company? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you have to make some ballets. You know, oh, I, wow. Um, That's great. I, I, gave her, I gave her a rehearsal room and she got some dancers in her dance class to come and put together some dances. And they, they were extraordinary. I, I, I said, where on earth did this come from? That's I fantastic. And my daughter, 14, is a singer. And uh, I have a 19-year-old who's a filmmaker. And I have older children who are... Not in show business, although the second one was a rock drummer for about 20 years. Well, there you go. So, you, Well, then you couldn't escape any of the contemporary music, but they like what you're doing as well and they're open I to it. I think so, yeah. 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 I mean it's, it's, um, um, it's not quite the same as you know, the musicals of the f- 40s and the 50s where, where pop, pop music was uh, the music of the theater. Mm, mm-hmm, Nowadays, mm-hmm. The, the musical well, – a show tune is a throwback mm-hmm. – not, not a you know. Tends to be a, a kind of pastiche kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. And every now and then, somebody invents something new, like Spring Awakening. I thought that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I just did a show uh, in California called Mask with uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. You know, you lost, lost that love and feeling. Here you come again, all that. Um, and that was terrific. It was a rock score. Mm. To that set to the the movie starring Cher in a mask, right, and right, a rather difficult subject, but um, the audience went crazy for it. So fantastic! I ask about your kids and their openness to it because it's it seems to go either way that you'll have a parent, and I've talked to lots of people, of course, about this that loves a certain kind of music and they somehow impart that to their children. The children wind up being open to it and loving it. Or they'll say, ugh, that's what my dad likes. I'm not into that. 
Exactly so. So my question to you is, is that luck or is there a better way to present it to your children? You know, to, you know what I'm you, asking. You know perfectly well that if you want your child to be interested in something, tell them – forbid them to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, you heard it here, folks. I, I tell my, my son who was having trouble in school, I, I would not get him you know, guitar lessons because uh, – um, he really needed to spend time – he didn't need another distraction. Right. You know? And uh, so he sort of said, OK, dad, and downloaded guitar uh, things from, from the internet and taught himself guitar, including the Slash, you know, the Guns N' Roses solos, which he can play in – he taught himself intact. So they, that was kind of – that was sort of thrilling. Absolutely. Um, so he – and he did not think that what I did was interesting at all. Mm. Um, but he went from Guns N' Roses, which is pretty theatrical music actually uh, as rock and roll goes, mm. pretty pretty uh, dramatic. Then he went to the slightly more dramatic records, you know, The Who and uh, – um, and then sort of symphonic rock records – and then he slopped over into Les Mis, which he went crazy for. And now he's listening to Mahler symphonies and Puccini. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, that is a logical progression. I can see how you would go from Guns N' Roses to Mahler. <laughs> it, it, it's totally true. And 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 I just and 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 and, uh, and on the on the way back, stopped in at some of the shows I do, and he was dead. This is really pretty exciting. You know, so, well, there you go. So there, there you go. So it, it was, it was, it, it came full circle, and I was, I was happy about that. So, what are you working on now? Uh, David Shire and I are working with John Weidman on a musical called Take Flight, which is about the invention of the airplane, which he did at London uh, at the Chocolate Factory last summer, and it was done in Tokyo last fall. Fantastic! And uh, we're hoping that it'll be done this winter, and. Um, uh, I directed this production of Mask in California, which is really quite thrilling, and uh, and and a, a, a small uh, two-character musical called The Story of My Life, which is written by these wonderful, wonderful young writers, and I'm just very excited about that. Fantastic. I can't wait. And over the course of the next year, two revivals of Ain't Misbehavin'. One, I I was always struck by how talented the kids on on, on American Idol were. And mm. I thought, gee, I wonder if we could do a whole, you know, get a whole collection of American Idol kids. Uh, because, of course, Amos Behaven was done by when when that cast was cast, they were all in their 20s. They were all, you know, it's a young person show. Mm -hmm. You have to be young because you were working your little tail off. Right. Um, so anyway, um, I, I thought that Ruben Stuttered would be great. And and Frenchie Davis, who had done Broadway uh, in Rent, so the two of them are starring in a tour of Ain't Misbehaving that's going to go out for four or five months, and then we're doing another um, production at the uh, Amundsen in uh, in California. So that so this year will be a, 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 a big year for revivals of Ain't Misbehaving. Well, and I have to tell you where I live in Sag Harbor. Oh yes, Bay Street Theater. 
they're doing they're doing a production. That's not my production. That's directed by Marsha Milgram Dodge, a very mm. nice production. Not mine, but you know. It's a, well, all considering right. that it's not mine, it's all right. All right. Yeah. Well, then maybe I won't go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm glad I got you to sit down, getting you between trips. I know, I know, I know. But Judy, thank you very much. You did really, it. Really nice that this uh, this finally happened. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to lyricist Richard Maltby, Jr. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD, Trio. I'm on piano with my Casham on sax and Chris Glory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing and my music, visit judycarmichael.com or visit us on Twitter at StrideQueen. Special thanks to Henry and Gilda Block, our webmaster Megan Lewis, and Jamie Roach for additional production assistance. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. Jazz Inspired will be recorded live on stage March 1st through the 4th on Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Visit judycarmichael.com for info on how you can attend this fun festival with special guests Dick Hyman and Eric Schneider.